Welcome to the Day One Podcast, the only podcast where practitioners in research and insights learn what's hot and what's not in the world of market research. This is your host, Hannah Mann. Hello, and I'm Hannah Mann. Welcome to the Day One Podcast. This is episode number two. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Jem Forkus. So let me tell you a little bit about Jem. So Jem is the owner and group CEO of Firefish, which he co-founded in 2000. He has led the business from its qualitative youth-focused roots to a growing £13 million multidisciplinary business with offices in New York and London, acting as human strategy partners to clients including Unilever, Amazon and Anheuser-Busch. More recently, he has been instrumental in founding the Insight Climate Collective, which aims to mobilise the research and insight sector to address the climate emergency. Jem is an expert in using insights to drive brand purpose, communication development and innovation, all stemming from his fascination with human lives and our cultural context. Graduating from the University of Cambridge with an MA in social psychology, he also gets pretty excited about fly fishing, football and his chickens. So welcome, Jem, and thanks for speaking with me today. It's a pleasure. Good morning. So to get us, get us started, I always like to sort of break the ice with a few easy questions to ease us in before we get into Room 101. Um, and I think my first question is really how you came to work in the insight industry. Because I don't think I've ever met a nine-year-old child that has said to me, do you know what, it's my life ambition to be a market researcher. So I'm always quite interested in people's path to, to the insight industry and how you came to be here. That's a good question. I never have either. And, and in a way, that's a bit of a sad indictment of our industry. You know, we have an image problem because essentially what we do is fascinating. If I'd known what it is that market researchers do, I, I might well have wanted to be it as a, as a, as a, as a younger child because essentially we're observers of the full, rich craziness of human life and we try and make sense of it. And that must be fascinating. It certainly is to me. I studied psychology, social psychology at university. All my friends, there's a thing called the milk round where all the management consultancies and accounting firms used to come to the university and, and, and sort of set up interviews. And all my friends were going to these and I hadn't even considered a job or working or anything like that. So I thought I'd better do something. And I went to the careers library, which in those days was a, a room full of pamphlets and books. And I looked up in the index file psychology and it said, you have two options. You can be a social worker. I thought, well, I don't think I want to be a social worker or a market researcher. I didn't know what that was, but I didn't want to be a social worker. So I thought I better apply to jobs in market research. And and I did. And and I ended up getting one. And that was it. Um, Luckily, I got a job in core research, which is far closer to, to my interests and skills. And, you know, and that became my career. Luckily, I found out I really loved it. Actually sounds very similar to my entry into the industry as well. Same thing, milk round, a company came, presented. I thought I'd never even heard of research. And I thought, this sounds absolutely fascinating. And that was sort of me hooked, really. But actually, one other thing I wanted to just talk to you about is your work on the Insight Climate Collective. So I've actually never come across this, and I feel like I should have, and I should know more about it. So it'd be great to hear about the work that you're doing there. It's down to us that you haven't heard more about it, not not you. We, We obviously haven't promoted it very well. 18 months or so ago, I've, I've always been interested or concerned about what we're doing to the climate and, and the environment. And I recognize that, you know, it's an important issue. 
And a, a few months ago, I, I, I tried to find out what the research and insight industry was doing about it. And the answer at the time was absolutely bugger all. So I sat around thinking, well, where are the senior people in the industry who are taking a stand on this? And I came to the rather unfortunate realization that I wasn't necessarily the senior people in the industry, but I was definitely the sort of old farts in the industry. And, and, and if I wasn't going to do something about it, who else was? So I got together a few like-minded people and we started having conversations over last summer about how the industry could have the most impact in helping businesses and society move to, to solve the climate crisis. And we came up with a manifesto, which is all about we are helping to mobilise the research and insight industry to have the, the greatest impact. We're in the process of producing a foundational res, re, report called Net Zero Insight, which is going to benchmark the emissions of, of the research and insight industry, which aren't huge, but they're still significant put forward an action plan of how businesses in the industry can reduce their emissions and, and achieve net zero with some very clear action targets. So that's that, that's the what, one element of, of what we think is really important. As an industry, we need to get our own house in order. We are not the most polluting industry, but if we haven't got our own house in order, it, it undermines our credibility to be able to talk to other people. So that's the first part of the report. The second part is how else we can have the most impact. And we have pillars, including education and training, making sure the climate conversation is at the heart of the business conversation and uh, building community and, and supporting conversations and initiatives in the area. So hopefully you will see that report, Net Zero Insight, towards the beginning of July. Well, I think it's important work. And you say that our industry doesn't sort of have a huge carbon footprint, but actually the amount of flying around the world that we used to do pre-pandemic I know I certainly was very conscious of that. And I really hope that we don't go back to that because I think a lot of it was unnecessary. So it's great to see that you're sort of um, flying that flag. One last question before we go on to Room 101. So everyone in our industry has at least one story that when they look back over their career, they it makes them smile. They think, well, that was a silly thing to do or that was interesting or funny. What's your one funny story or interesting story that you look back on over your career? If you have one, that is. In the early days of Firefish, we were youth focused. So we, we would, we were kind of quite immersed in youth culture, which kind of meant rave culture quite a lot then. We spent a lot of time talking to, interviewing, getting to know people in their late teens, early twenties, whilst they went about their social cultural lives. And, and that put us in some interesting situations. I remember a group discussion we were doing in, I can't even remember where. Some slightly dodgy area in London. One of the participants got bored, so decided to leave the, 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 the session. He asked if he could go to the loo and then didn't come back. But what he did on, on the way out was lock us into the village hall place that we were having focus groups so we couldn't get out. So we couldn't follow him. So that was, we, we spent a bit of time trying to get out of there. But I think what, one, one of the things that we did when, when we started Farfish was it was, I remember hearing at some stage in, in my younger life when artists get to the stage where they can just manifest stuff by drawing it. So if Picasso wanted a car, he'd just draw a car and, and you know, that, that, or he wanted a meal, he'd just draw the meal and, and it'd swap it for the meal. And I was like, can we, market researchers, you know, how can we do this? And, and so we decided, you know, in the early days that what, 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 what clients should we go for? We go for clients that, that, you know, fitted with what we wanted in our lives. So, we wanted to go to the World Cup football. So we looked at who the sponsors were. We, we got a, we got Yahoo as a client and they gave us loads of tickets to the World Cup. It's brilliant. 
used to go to festivals a lot and this is a long time ago before festivals were anything like they were now before there was any sponsorship at festivals and we wanted to go to Glastonbury so it's the first year of sponsorship at Glastonbury which is a massive change because it was a very old hippie festival um non-commercial so we looked around who was sponsoring and we got a we, we saw Anheuser-Busch Budweiser so we pitched to them that we go to Glastonbury and understand people's reactions to their to them sponsoring it so and, and we got the job and so we hired a massive limo because of course we were going to Glastonbury we needed a limo stretch limo and and went down there and interviewed lots of people in 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 various states of disarray and and uh, worse for awareness immersed yourself with the experience we totally immersed yeah. and, and we got this hilarious <laughs> footage of of someone who's clearly been having perhaps too good a time standing in front of an enormous Budweiser banner and we're asking, have you seen any sponsorship at the, at the festival? He's going, no, no, I haven't seen anything. No, no not seen anything <laughs> at all. Have you seen anything about Budweiser? No, no, there's nothing about Budweiser here. They're literally in front of this thing. So that we, we that was quite amusing at the time. So there are some perks to the job. And it sounds like, yeah, you sacrificed yourself for the cause there. It was a hard job, I can tell that one. Yeah. I've always believed that your job and your life are, are not separate. And if you can balance them and, and make them work for each other you're in a much better and happier place. When I started off in the workplace, there was such a, you know, you'd, you know, I, I was a 18, 19 year old straight out of university. You know, I literally had to put on a costume to go to work. I had to put on a sh an iron shirt, which I didn't wear anywhere else in, in my life. And, and I had to sort of become work person and go to work. And, 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 and I found that very difficult to maintain it. It took me a long time to realize there's not a separation and, and actually it's much more rewarding and enriching and, and we're all better if we if we can be the same and carry the same values and the same interests through them both and, and i've always tried to encourage that in in you know our, our working culture and, and the way that you know we, we interact with people who work with us so it sounds like something that could go into room 101 possibly so okay let's get on to our main discussion for today so as you know we're here to talk about three things that you want to put into room 101 to banish them from our industry forever. So it could be anything at all, an idea, a way of working, a methodology, an approach, anything. However, I am going to only let you put one thing into Room 101 at the end. So you've got to argue each case strongly and passionately um, so I can make that decision at the end. Um, and also, you know, we can't just get rid of, rid of things without replacing them. So I also want to know, okay, well, if this goes, what's going to replace it um, and what's going to sort of paint a brighter picture for the future of insights so let's let's get started what is your first item you want to put into room 101 my first one was 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 the easiest one because it's something i've i've basically ranted about my whole career and it is i want to put into room 101 the consumer <laughs> okay why do you want to put the consumer into room 101 i hate the consumer i call it the c word i, I think it is the most derogatory term possible to describe us, people, citizens, humans, is responsible for a huge amount of bad marketing, misunderstanding. I, I would even go so far as to say labelling people as consumers has contributed to the state the world finds itself in, where our consumption is, is, is way beyond what the planet can support. There is a lot of strong psychological theory that, that shows that labelling, giving a label or a term to something, defines the way people per perceive it. So if you label people as one 
tiny facet of, of what they do and, and not even a good description of it, we consume, you define them as that and, and, and you act towards them as that. And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So, you know, I, I, I constantly try and encourage people not to use the word in, in the business. It doesn't always work. What, what should they use instead? What, how, just people? people? People. Yeah. Citizens, people, humans. It's less now, but there certainly was a sort of view when, when I came into the industry that, you know, that there are these beings in some sort of suspended animation, kind of not really doing anything else until, you know, they're suddenly, you know, they have an opportunity to consume your product. You know, they're going to consume your hair shampoo or they're going to consume your biscuit. What are they doing the rest of the time? They're just waiting to consume your biscuit. That is so nonsensical. <laughs> it makes me angry. Well, it's not just actually, because I work in healthcare and we are just as bad because we label, well, we use the term patients, label people as patients, but patients are just people, people that just so happen to also have a condition or an illness that affects their lives. And we have to catch ourselves as well saying, look, they're not patients because that, again, it automatically puts a label on them, makes them feel different from everybody else. But actually, they are just people and human beings at the end of it. We need to re remind ourselves of that and treat them as such. So I think, you know, there are probably a lot of labels that we use that really are probably not helping us. So if we got rid of it then, what difference do you think it's going to make to our industry? If we got rid of that phrase, no longer used it, what would, what would it matter? Well, I think the first thing it does is break down barriers because, because by labelling people as consumers, you immediately make them the other. And all they want to do is consume your product. If we start seeing them as people, we learn about them. We learn to relate to them. We learn to have empathy for them. You know, I think a lot of marketing, good marketing, good product design is, is, is based on empathy and intuition. If you really understand your audience, you know, you, you, you will be able to create great products for them and, and, and tell them about it in a way that will resonate with them and, and, and therefore you will be successful. If you just see them as consumers who are... I remember I worked on the launch of a product which a client shall remain nameless, but was the launch... It was a launch of liquid margarine, which it was exactly what it says. It was a liquid margarine. It was a rather disgusting-looking white liquid that you could use to cook with. And the launch campaign was a teaser campaign, which just had posters all around the country saying, the revolution is coming. And I remember going out and, and, and testing it. People go, wow, the revolution is coming. What, is this, this some kind of like supercomputer or, you know, are we going to change society? And you go, no, it's liquid margarine. You know, people were just like, I mean, you the can imagine the reaction. <laughs> <laughs> but not even the disappointment, it's just like, what the marketing industry about that they think liquid margarine is going to be a revolution? You know, and, and that comes from the fact, well, you know, you are a margarine consumer, and the most exciting thing that's going to happen in your life is your solid margarine is going to become liquid. And, you know, but it, it, it's much deeper and, and, and more insidious than that. Look at some of the, 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 the recent scandals in, in, in fashion, you know, with uh, cheap labour and polluting clothes. And that comes you just treat your, your audience as a consumer. You know, they, they just want to consume, they just want a £10 t-shirt, they just want a £10 t-shirt. And, and on some level they do, but equally they also want the planet to survive. And, you know, their, their friends and relatives and, and their society to be fair and equal and, they, and add value to their, to their, to their lives. And, until you understand that, you're, you're, you're never going to connect with people. So we should think and talk about people as people. 
We can talk about them as citizens if we want. We can talk about them as humans. We understand they have a huge, uh, rich life. We understand their needs and aspirations and desires and look to connect to that. And, and I firmly believe that all businesses should enrich the totality of human life, not themselves. And to do that, we, we need to understand people as people. And hopefully, eventually, businesses and brands will, by doing that, will, will connect to them more strongly. Okay, great. Sounds good to me. The Day One podcast is brought to you by research and insight agency Day One Strategy. Day One Strategy combines technology and human intelligence to help healthcare companies better understand their customers' wants, needs and behaviours. To find out more, visit our website www.dayonestrategy.com or get in touch at inquiries at dayonestrategy.com. Shall we move on to your second item that you want to put into room 101 talk a little bit about that before we start making decisions about what we get rid of and what we keep so what's your second item my second one is a bit clumsily expressed but it is the siloing that exists between different ways of understanding people so different research methodologies so the silos that exist between qual and quant and data and tech rather than the, the view of them they're just tools they're just ways of understanding people and, and it's a silo that i see both from client perspective my experience is even though many clients you know say that we're we're, we're not about the, the methodology we just want to understand our audience they'll send you a call brief or they'll send you a quant brief and it's inside agencies businesses like mine and it's inside people culturally as well do you think that that's improved over time? Because I do think, when I look back, that when I first started in research, it was very definitely qual or quant. I do feel now that those two disciplines have merged, data, qual, quant, tech. Actually, they all kind of come together, and it is just about finding or getting to the truth or understanding your customer. And I think that technology has certainly helped that. But I don't know whether you're seeing that change with the clients and the, the work that you guys are doing. I mean, it depends how far back you go. You know, if you go far enough back where, where kind of research came out of sort of academic, psychologically and, and scientific investigation, you know, they, they were just ways of get, gathering data and you, you would use whatever you needed to, to produce your hypotheses and, and, and understand your area and your issue. I think they evolved as, as very separate industries. But I think it goes deeper. It goes to my friend of mine's written a really interesting book called How, no, or he's written a number of interesting books actually. One's called How to Be Insightful. The other's called narrative by numbers how to tell stories using data and and his hypothesis in in narrative by numbers is from an early age in our education system we are turned into scientists or non-scientists i mean artists you know art humanities language and there's a bifurcation there and and almost you know almost both sides exaggerate the the characteristics of the other and and it becomes a, a a point of pride to not understand each other the geeks over there, the nerds over there, the kind of lovies over there, or you know, the 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 artists over there, whatever you want to call it, and, and that that's ingrained quite early on in our education system. Whereas what we need is polymaths. We need people who who understand a bit of everything. If you look at the great thinkers of all time, you know, Renaissance onwards, that they they are incredible polymaths. You know, Leonardo da Vinci is the obvious one, but there there are there are a myriad of them. You know, Einstein was a, was a great philosopher and appreciation of artists as well as being a, a, a phenomenal scientist. And some of the, some of the current quantum physicists are, are, are amazingly multi D 
disciplinary and, and uh, talented. So I think that it, it, it goes it goes deeper than just our industry. I think it goes to, to our culture and our education system. I think that, I mean, at least people are trying to break it down. People are, are aware that the, the, the number of data sources, you know, is important. But but I still think there's that there's a long way to go. I say, what do you think needs to happen? Actually, I'm smiling because we were talking about technology and actually that was my Alexa there that just fired up. So I apologise for that. But, you know, this is our lives now with technology everywhere. So yeah, what needs to change? And is it is it from the agency side, the client side, or is it everybody? We've got to just think differently and kind of break the mould and, stop thinking in terms of siloed um, disciplines and, you know, or, you know, is there something we can actively do to kind of help make this change happen? Yeah, I, I think it's like all change. It's a bit of everything everywhere. But when we were doing a trends piece recently, and one of the, the things that I liked that came out of it, which it, you know, I could say one of the, the great trends we saw, but it's generally stuff I like and agree with that I think are great trends, was the blurring of binary, you know, black or whiteness, either or, uh, across uh, everywhere. So you can, you can, I mean, you can put it, you can, you can, you know, you, you, you can, you can trace it across sectors and cultures. I mean, obviously gender's the most obvious one, but, but it goes into, to feels like, you know, snacking. You used to be eating food, you know, eating meals or snacking. Now that, 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 that there, there is, it is not either or anymore, that the lines blur, the lines gray. And, and one of the things that I think historically has happened was that, you know, People claimed their methodology was better. Quant research is better than qual research. Qual research is better than quant. And then over the last decade or so, tech businesses came in going, our tech widget is better than anything else that's gone before and can answer everything and, you know, corrects all the problems of tra traditional methodology. So you must buy this and nothing else. So a lot of client organizations invested tens of million pounds in essentially a tech platform. And so there was, there was this kind of, you know, this is better than that, or, you know, you should use this or that. Mm -hmm. And actually, the obvious solution is, is, is every, all different ways of understanding the world are just a way of understanding the world. They're, they're a way of looking at it from a different perspective. Uh, we, yeah. we used to, we, we, you know, it's about shy. There's a great, like, I don't know if you've ever tried to hunt frogs in a rainforest. It's fascinating. Two of you walk the torch a distance away and you listen for the frog going, and, and when you hear it, you both shine your torch on when you hear it. And, and every time where the torches intersect, uncannily, there is the frog, like in, in the intersection of the, of the torches. So that's, that's my metaphor for, for um, different methodologies. You know, you shine the light from different perspectives and, and you will get a, a full picture. I think, it, yeah, I think we've got to stop thinking about one against the other, as you were saying. It's actually... All the different disciplines, however you use them or merge them or bring them together, complement one another. And actually, the skills that we've developed as doing more traditional approaches from many, many years, you know, in our careers, actually just mean that we can interpret that data, whatever it is or wherever it comes from, in the right way. So I always think of it, it's, it's blending and the technology enhances. Either it gives us new insight that we didn't have before or new data it either makes us work quicker or it just helps us engage our audiences in different ways. So. Personally, I agree with you. I think, you know, if we can just view it as one big thing, lots of different approaches, lots of different approaches, lots of different technology, and we bring them together to find the best solution, then I think that's the winning way forward. But I don't know what, what you think. No, I completely agree with you. I absolutely do. And I think it, it has links back to, to, to you know, how we see what we're trying to understand. You know, if we're trying to understand 
a consumer consuming in some unrealistic moment that we've invented, then, you know, then we can go, well, this one methodology is really going to do that. If, if, we, if we understand, you know, people in the context of their lives, you know, then, then it, it stands to reason that there are lots of different ways to understand that and, and, it, and it's better to bring them all together. Okay. I think it's probably time now to move on to our third and final item for Room 101. So what is your third item that you'd like to banish forever? It's not sort of really a lighthearted one to end up on this one. It, it's, it's around climate. I'd like to banish either the sentiment, I'd like my business to take more action on climate, but I don't have time. I don't have the money. Other things are more important. And that's linked to businesses, and this is like our client organizations, who have, here's our business strategy, our marketing strategy, and here's the tactical client bit. Sorry, the tactical climate bit on the side. So I guess to try and make that into one thing, it is businesses not putting the climate conversation at the heart of their business conversation or putting climate strategy at the heart of their business strategy. And do you think that's what most businesses are doing at the moment? So basically sort of paying lip service to it, but not really acting on it, so ticking a box. No, I don't think that's what most businesses are doing. I, I think most businesses are, are, are trying. I think it's very complicated and uh, everybody's finding their way through it. I, in, in the same way, I, I have a rant about consumers. I, I have a similar thought about businesses. You know, there, there, I, I, I spent quite a bit of time in my teens and my twenties being a bit of a, a hippie and anti-establishment, anti-corporate and, you know, the, the received wisdom was like business is bad. Business is bad, and and the history of commerce will show that there's there's a huge amount of validity in that view. But equally, what is business? Business is people. Business is a bunch of people like me, like like me and like you, like our friends, like the other people in the country. They're, they're a bunch of people trying to do their best, and most people would not want to willfully destroy the planet. Almost everyone would not want to willfully destroy the planet. And, and most people are absolutely horrified to find that they're going about their daily behavior. I heard a statistic the other day that the flat screen TV industry, taken as a whole, is more polluting than something ridiculous like, like the fossil fuel industry. I've got, the, I've got the statistic wrong, but it's about the third mm. most polluting Wow. Industry yeah. taken as a whole. But, and there we are buying TVs because we like TVs and we, we want to watch Netflix. And, and it would horrify us if, if we realized that that's destroying our planet. It, it's very difficult to, to, to link the two. So I think most people in, in cycle business wanna, wanna, don't want to screw the planet up, but we are semi accidentally. So uh, what my, you know, almost everyone I've, I, I speak to in business wants to do something, wants to be part of the solution, but it, but they find it very difficult. You know, it, we're, we're, we're in, as individuals, we're quite powerless and we, we need to, to understand what the solutions are and how we can act on them. What do you think is the biggest contributor to, in our industry, what is the, the worst thing that we're doing? Is it all the flying around? So I know over my career, if I think back, I mean, at one point, I was getting on a plane at least once, if not twice a week, which is madness now that we think about it with the pandemic, and which has completely changed how we think about doing research. But are there other things that we're doing? Because that's quite an obvious one. Other things that we should be more aware of, should we be trying to address other than just all the travel that we do? 
The net zero insight report will, will break down the, the emission centers of the industry and, and show how we can best to mitigate and reduce them because we need to reduce them by around 5% every year in order to hit the, 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 the 2050 target. And those that we can't get rid of immediately, we, we need to offset with a reputable offset scheme. The, if you're a business owner, the simplest and most effective thing you can do is change energy supplier to as much renewable energy as you can. And, and everyone can do that immediately. And that will have the biggest impact out of all the things you can do, probably more so than, than flights. Flights are, will, will also be a, a significant proportion. You're, you're absolutely right. So in terms of if we, so I guess it sounds like, I think everyone would agree with you. Yeah, we've got to do more for the climate, for the environment. But what do you think, why is it so difficult for us to act on this at the moment? You say people have got good intentions, but it's not as easy as it, you know, it's just sort of flicking a switch, or, or maybe it is. Now, what's, what's sort of standing in our way of, of making these changes, do you think? I think it depends who, who you mean by we. I mean, I think for people, you know, all of us going about our daily lives and, and trying to live our lives, I think it's in, in, important, you know, that we're aware that, that the, the climate crisis is real, um, and, and we can. There are many things we can do, like switch our energy supplies and, and look at our flights that, that will have impact. I personally think it is absolutely the responsibility of businesses and governments to make it easy, so that if I want to buy a flat screen TV. I can't, I don't even have to think that, I don't have to do research into it, it, it is not harming the environment. It should just be, as a business, you should be not doing things that are harming the environment and, and reducing your impact. So I think the key lies with, lies with businesses. I think many of them, you know, one of our main clients is Unilever. They, they've been taking a lead for many, many years, and I don't think they get enough praise for it. Many businesses are taking giant steps. The, the difficulty is that, that, you know, what, what was yesterday's big news, you know, we, we will be climate, we will be carbon neutral in 10 years. You know, if you did that te two years ago, some people at IKEA and Amazon did, you know, it's big news. You do it now. Everyone's like, well, yeah, of course you are. But you may have been spending two years, you know, operationally working out you're going to do that, thinking that you'd, you'd, you'd launch it in a big fanfare. The, the, the narrative keeps moving very, very fast, which is where we as an industry have a role. But I think for our industry, for businesses in our, I think there are two areas where, where we can all improve. One is businesses in our industry. It's really not hard. You just got to make a commitment. You got, you got to make a commitment. Say, you know, this is important. It is something we can do. It's not very costly. It doesn't take very much time. You can sign up to the MRS pledge. You, we will be providing an industry specific carbon calculator and information on how to reduce your emissions. There's no real excuse. There's not, not even no real, there's no excuse for not doing it. Whatever else you've got on your plate, it doesn't take much time. The, the other thing that, that is important is that our client organizations understand that the, the climate conversation and, and the business conversation are, are, are not separate. They are the same. And, and, and as an industry, you know, what, what our, our skill set and, and what we do is help our clients predict and navigate the future in some ways. And, you know, we, we should be aware of trends that aren't mainstream at the moment, where the conversation is going. And, and we know that the climate conversation is getting louder and louder and, and people are, are, uh, are looking more and more down badly on, on businesses that, that are not taking action. We can hypothesize very clearly that in two, four, ten years, if, if you're not 
on board, you're going to suffer massively. So we should be putting that point of view in every piece of work. So say, for example, if, 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 if we're doing some comms development with an ad that's clearly shot in Hawaii, it's unlikely that anyone will specifically say that ad shot in Hawaii, you know, that's terrible. But I feel it's our responsibility to, to bring in, you know, we know that when ads are shot in Hawaii, you know, there's a lot of social media noise about did they need to sh sh shoot that ad in Hawaii? You know, think of the, the carbon emission of that. Therefore, you should be aware of this. Therefore, you might want to think about, you know, can you shoot it in the Outer Hebrides that looks like Hawaii without the palm trees, for example. So it's about bringing, I think our industry is well placed and, and it's our duty to bring the climate lens to every piece of work so that businesses bring the, the climate strategy to the heart of their business strategy and, and that will start to change things yeah and i think you know if every business did that regardless of the industry that you're in imagine the difference that we could make and i think that's you know the importance of that isn't it is that everyone has to do their part okay right so we're coming towards the end of our discussion so we've got your three things so Number one was the consumer or the phrase, the term, the use of that term terminology. The second thing was the sort of siloing of different sort of methodologies and looking at research in, in a siloed fashion. And then the third thing was things that harm the environment, I'm going to say. So putting those into the into Room 101 and doing more for our environment and climate. So, OK, of all those three things, which one are we going to banish forever? Have you got a preferred one? If you had the choice, which one would you put into Room 101? Yeah, I mean, the, you know, the, the climate one is clearly the most important and has the most effect. But, but, but I, I don't, I, I see, in, in a strange sort of way, I, I don't see that as separate from what we should be doing daily as a business. So I think that what, what I would like is, in the same way that no one disputes, no one has second thoughts about the fact that smoking is bad for you and therefore we shouldn't encourage it. I would like the, the kind of the climate to become the same thing. So it's just it's just baked into every thought and every conversation we have about any sort of business. So I'm not going to put the climate in there, even though it is by far the most important. Um, I want to put consumer in there because I battled against it for I mean, for, for 30, my 30 years in, in, in the industry. Um, okay. And and I, I, I it's it's a small it, it sounds a small and insignificant point but I I firmly believe it it radically changes the way organisations look at their audience and understand their audience if they stop seeing them as a consumer and, and and see them as people. Okay, so how about this as a compromise? You put the consumer in room one hundred and one, and I'll put things that harm the environment in room one hundred and one. Because I agree with you, it's huge. It's a big conversation that we should all be, you know, should all have had, and we should all be acting on. Therefore, I think that has to go in. So that's the compromise we can perhaps reach at the end of this discussion. So actually, two things gone in room one hundred and one today. So I'm breaking all the rules. Okay. Well, I guess you know. Before we finish, was there anything else when you were thinking about what to put in room one hundred and one? Smaller, little, insignificant things you think? Well, actually, oh, I'd love to put that in as well, but you know, it's probably not big enough to talk about for the for the whole podcast. Just before we wrap up, loads clients who say, "Oh, you're you know, you're you're by far the most expensive. Your proposal is by far the most expensive. Your proposal is thirty percent more than anyone else." I once went to a negotiation training meeting. There were like fifty agencies there from from research and everywhere else. And, and I said, how many of you are, are regularly told you're by far the most expensive agency in, in the pitch? And every single one of them put their hand up. 
<coughs> just stop it. Like, just, just be honest and open and, and tell us what your budget is and we'll work to it. That's one. Second one is most procurement departments and their inability to flex their legal documents in particular. Expecting small businesses to have insane liability cover rather than take on any risk or any liability themselves. That should. The list could get on and on, couldn't it? I think. Yeah. Okay. Right. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast today. So thank you very much. And we'll leave it there. But hope you have a fantastic day for the, for the rest of today. Take care. It's a pleasure. Great to talk to you. Thanks very much. Thank you. You've now heard from our guest, but the big question is, what would you put in Room 101? We'd love to hear your views. Get in touch at inquiries at dayonestrategy.com and let us know your thoughts on where our industry is heading. Thank you for listening. Subscribe to get notified when future episodes are released.